0: Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Drew Chacon, and he'll be answering your most important questions on top saltwater flies. The show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Drew a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your questions. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill in your name and email address and the form on our homepage, and we'll keep you informed. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website at your convenience and listen to the broadcast at any time. The content of the broadcast is and is the property of Knowledge Group, Inc. Doing Businesses Ask About Fly Fishing. Recordings or transcriptions of this program cannot be distributed or sold in any form. When we return, we'll be talking with Drew Chacon about top saltwater flies. Looking for that Eddy permit? Whip Ray Key Fishing Lodge in Belize is where you want to be. When you stay at Whip Ray Key Fishing Lodge, you're on a private island and are only minutes away from some of the finest permit fishing in Belize. Whipray Key is just a 30-minute boat ride from Placentia. Once you're there, you'll be fishing Permit Alley, one of Belize's best fisheries, and you won't be taking long boat rides to get started. You'll fish with world-class guides like Daniel Cabral, whose family has fished the area for over 30 years. Want to switch it up and fish for a tarpon and bonefish and make it a grand slam? They can make it happen at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge. Book your next adventure now. Visit WhiprayKeyFishingLodge.com. That's Whipray, C-A-Y-E fishinglodge.com. Before we introduce Drew, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. in Our drawing tonight will be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage, which is at askaboutflyfishing.com, and look for the link under Drew's section that says, Click Here to Register for Our Drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a copy of Drew's book, Featherbrain, courtesy of Stackpole Books. Feather Brain is a uh, book about developing, testing, and improving saltwater fly patterns. So um, if you're interested in winning that book, here's how you can win. Uh, be the first person to answer the question or questions. Sometimes I do two-part questions we ask at the end of the show and they will be about something that Drew and I talk about during the show. Submit your answer along with your name and your location in the text box on our home page. It's the same place that you can ask questions at during the show, uh, so the same form. So listen closely and uh, take good notes, be quick about it, and maybe you'll win Drew's book, uh, uh, Featherbrain. Our guest tonight is Drew Chacon. Drew is an author, award-winning outdoor writer and fly designer, photographer, lecturer, and materials expert whose passion for teaching and the art of fly tying has inspired numerous how-to articles, books, and detailed instructional guides. He has lived and breathed the sport since he was tall enough to sit at the vise, and his fly creations are well-known and in high demand among saltwater anglers and guides across the globe. Drew has been a... Federation Fly Fishers certified casting instructor and commercial fly tire for more than a decade. He's a designer for Umpqua Feather Merchants and his patterns are sold in quality fly shops and have appeared in over 70 U.S. and international publications. He is the winner of the 2016 and 2017 International Fly Tackle Dealer Best In Show Saltwater Fly Pattern Award, as well as in 2014 the IFTD Iron Fly. At the beginning of 2018, Drew partnered with Wild River Press Books to publish three new titles: Top Saltwater Flies, Bonefish, uh, Tarpon, and Permit. It's a three-volume set. It's the largest tying instruction series on the subject ever published. Uh, other books that uh, Drew has written and published have been Featherbrain: Developing and Testing, Developing Testing, Improving Saltwater Fly Patterns. Uh, baby tarpon flies, redfish flies, snook flies, essential bonefish flies, and essential permit patterns. So uh, lots of writing and work done there. In addition uh, to his ongoing work as an educator, Drew ties premium saltwater flies for sale through his company, Salt- Salty Fly Tying. And he's the co-founder of Strip Strike University and frequently hosts destination schools and fishing adventures anywhere saltwater species swim. Drew is an ambassador for the American Museum of Fly Fishing, Patagonia, G. Loomis, Mustad, Dynaking, Paddle Paddleboards, Loon Outdoors, Whiting Farms, and holds pro staff positions for Nautilus, Reels, Airflow, as well as many other premium fly fishing manufacturers. Drew, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it'll be fun. We've got lots to talk about. Um, so, uh you've done a lot of writing, a lot of books uh on tying. That's uh quite uh quite the list of titles I read off, huh?
1: Yeah, I uh
0: I never would have described
1: myself as a writer uh in high school or college. I don't know uh how that all happened, but
0: it uh it did. Okay. Drew, um are you on a speaker phone? I am, yep. Okay, well get closer or or pick it up. One of the two for me. Sure. Uh, So I can get, you sound a little far away now. Is that better? Much better, much better. Okay, good. We want to make sure we get a good recording. Good. Okay, so, um, you know, I'm keying in because, uh, Tom Perot was nice enough to send me some review copies of your three latest books, which, uh, I've read through cover to cover, all three, believe it or not, and, um, there's just a bunch of good stuff on fly tying in there. And so I'm hoping to just kind of skim through and find some juicy nuggets here and there and talk to you about the the whys and the wherefores and the hows of of how things are done and uh, kind of, you know, fill people in on on your techniques and get them excited about tying saltwater patterns. So sound good? Sounds great. Fire away. Okay. All righty. so I'm, I'm starting out with your Bonefish book. And again, these are the, the books from uh, Wild River Press. And on our website, you'll see a link to that. Right on our home page on the right-hand side, you'll see Top Saltwater Flies Bonefish. You can click on that, and it'll take you right to a uh, website where you can um, order those books if you'd like, uh, as well as the other books down below, uh, which are available through Amazon. You can click on those links and get any of Drew's books there. So. Lots of books to to browse and and investigate. So anyway, um, first, yeah, go ahead. If you want to, if you want a signed copy, they're all on
1: my website too, and most of them are in digital format format as well. If you want to, if you're more into the iPad thing, yeah, okay, okay. and that and um, uh, saltyflytime dot com,
0: right? And I think we have that on your bio page. A link to your. To your website, there too, where people can find that. Good. Um, so, first off, um, you spent a lot of time in your book talking about uh, vices, and you kind of over the years tried many vices and narrowed it down to one. Uh, you want to tell us about the, the vice you use and the why sure. behind it? Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: I tie on a Dyna King professional. Um, I, like you mentioned, I've tried an awful lot of them over the years. And for tying a lot of flies with a wide range of hook sizes for saltwater, you know, sometimes bonefish, I'm tying eights, or I'm tying for, I don't know, Louisiana redfish, it might be on a three-aught or a four-aught. Um, you just need a vise that has a, a wide range of capacity for the jaws. And I like the notch jaws on the King. So as you do apply a lot of thread pressure, the hook's not sliding out of the jaws um, or popping or anything like that. So I mean, I've never found a vise that holds a hook, no matter what size you come up with more firmly than a, a Dynaking. Um, I like the professional because it's um, the the way it's set up. It's, it's a true rotary, but the way it's set up, it's, you know, it's perpendicular, if that makes sense. It's like a T. So, um, it, it makes it so you can um, lash it down, if you will, with the, the C-clamp to the bench and get a lot of, uh, lot of stability with it. It's, it's not like a curved vise or it doesn't have another hinge point in the, the neck of the vise, if you will. So once you get the, the hook in there and clamp it down, uh, nothing's going to slide loose when you're really cranking out flies.
0: And, and that works for all those sizes, uh, from like you say, six to two or three, four aughts Yeah, I don't know how big I've taught, like, I think I've tied up on like
1: eight, eight odds, you know. And, oh, really? Yeah, one of my buddies, Oliver, was doing, um, some, uh, GTs in Oman and he needed some, you know, double X or triple X wire on eight aughts and I was amazed how well, you know, I was able to, to, you know I, mean, I had some doubt, but when i when I finally got it, the vice opened up, it held it just fine, so if that doesn't speak volumes, I don't know what does,
0: yeah, yeah, uh, and you don't have to change uh the the jaws at all, it's all the same
1: no there you just just like uh you know back off the thread on the front of the jaws and it opens it up, and you know uh-huh. it's it's definitely machine grade i mean it's it's solid, mm. You know, with other vices, I've been in, you know, tying classes where, you know, an inexperienced tire wasn't really sure what they were doing and they had the, the tension wrong on the jaws. And I've seen, I won't, you know, name names, but I've seen vices explode and the jaws shoot across the room. You know, you're sitting at a bench or a table with, you know, a couple dozen youngsters and a piece of metal goes flying by their heads. Moms grab kids and take them out of the class pretty quick. So, um, yeah, you, you got you to be careful with that um yeah and the other yeah. thing is they just don't hold you know you 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 put a vice in there and you crank uh, hook in the vice and you crank it down as hard as you can and you put your thumb on the eye of the hook and push down it just slides out of the vice yeah. you you'll never yeah. do that with a dyna king
0: cool cool yeah well that sounds like a good recommendation and as much as you tithe i'm sure <laughs> put, yeah. put it through its uh uh yeah it works so um
1: good good I've sent her, um i sent the same one back a couple of times to get oiled up but she still she's still going
0: she's still going same one wow that's a lot to be said for Dyna King yeah great um the other thing that that struck me is your uh, and of course this is new since you know I mean well not new but in the past ten years uh, LED lighting has really come on to play and everywhere I just installed two reading lights by our that uh, yesterday uh little LEDs um, and so you found that those uh LEDs are, are great lighting for for tying as well
1: yeah um,
0: you know i'm almost 40
1: now and uh the eyes the eyes have taken some, taken some abuse so i i have um, two sets of the dual LEDs above my my vice um, I like them because I can directionalize where the light is depending on what I'm doing, um, and they're plenty bright. Everyone says if they're plenty bright. Why do you need two sets? But you know, the more the merrier for me because <laughs> I'm sitting in front of a vise most of the time. So, but they're uh, yeah, they're amazing. I, I can't recommend them enough.
0: But where did you get those? Where are they available from?
1: They're through Hairline Hairline Dovins. Oh, oh Hairline store that
0: okay.
1: stocks um hairline products can order them for you any fly shop where i'm sure you can do amazon and and find them right on amazon It you know I, i've recommended them to numerous people so if anybody has any questions shoot me an email yeah. drew at salty fly tying and i'll send you a link to them if you can't find them but yeah they're uh they're okay. fantastic
0: okay all right um another thing um that we use quite often it looks like and in a lot of the the patterns is a good old dog brush right yeah you know that's that's one of my essential
1: tools uh whether you're doing dubbing brushes or you know just palmering any material really it, it helps keep things from being trapped under consecutive thread wraps or wraps with the material i carry them with me um All the time when I'm fishing, I leave one in my bag just because after a few fish, flies tend to get kind of slimy and it kind of corrects all the fibers and brings everything back to unclogged up or unglobbed up, if you will. So, yeah, I use a dog brush every day. The -hmm. the small ones, Enrico Paglisi has some on his site, I think, still. They're like a one-inch finger brush and those are great for you know, when you're on the water or traveling, you can't, you know, find those uh, smaller wood ones like I have in the book. But, yeah, any any of those multi-wire, like, square-headed, you know, dog brush, they, they work great.
0: Yeah, um, my wife uh, gets after the uh, cat with one of those all the time because yep. it gets the under fur out. Yeah, yeah, so very familiar with and it that. works. It works way better than, like, a
1: standard, like, Comb. Some people
0: say, "Oh, use like an eyebrow comb or a mustache comb," but it just it doesn't uh-huh. work as well. Hmm. Cool, cool. And you use the smallest one that you can find, basically out there. Is that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you only need an inch or two across the top
0: of the head um, on
1: those uh, on those brushes. And like I said, those little EP ones are cool because you can you know you you have to reverse them when you put them in your pocket, otherwise they chew the heck out of your leg if you're on the boat or whatever, but um, <laughs>
0: yeah, I suppose.
1: Yeah, uh, but yeah, they work
0: great. Smallest one yeah. you can get. Um, the other thing uh, caught my eye is you spend a lot of time talking about dubbing spinners. Um, mm-hmm. So you want to tell us about your experience there because that seems to be a tool you're using quite often as well.
1: Yeah, so a dubbing loop allows you to trap fibers and palmer them much like you would a feather so you can create cylindrical shapes and then you know trim away hairs i I use it a lot for doing like collars on tarpon flies with rabbit hair or um i use the like for my coyote ugly shrimp i'll i'll make a dubbing loop with with coyote hair and then trim it tight to make the body what you need though is to to expedite that spinning of the two legs of the loop as fast as you can, so all the hairs don't fall out. And you know, it's kind of a balancing act to keep the hairs in the loop and and the, the loop taut so they don't come out. So, you know, uh, Loon just came out with their their dubbing twister, which I really like because you can kind of hold the the loop tight with your left hand and then spin. The, the weighted, um, I think it's uh, the spinner with your, uh, with your dominant hand, your right hand, and that, that gets on it real quick. Before that, um, I used just a modified paper clip, you know, um, to spin it by hand, like kind of like an old crank, you know, hand crank drill, um, to tighten it up, and that way I could still use the rotary feature of my vise and, um, and Palmer the loop, you know, while I was stroking back the fibers you know that wrapped forward you know there's there's a lot of them on the market that are really thin wire and if you try to make a, a turn with the dubbing spinner you know the loop intact you end up ripping the wires off and then the whole thing turns into what looks like cat vomit on your lap but um in my opinion it's another one of those tools that i can't live without so whenever i'm tying or traveling i always have a couple of them with me
0: Okay, and um, but that loon, uh, what outdoors Gator Grip double spinner?
1: Yeah, that's
0: the one you're that's talking one about. That
1: it, yeah, that's the one I prefer. There's a couple attachments for it. There's like a uh, like a clip, and then there it looks like a cup hook, and the cup hook is the one that I prefer. Oh, yes. um, okay, you know it's very short, so if you're tying with your vise on a bench and not hanging off the bench on like a C clamp what you run into with um, a longer tool is it rests on the bench and you lose thread tension. So uh, yeah. it's important yeah. to have a shorter tool if you're, you know, if you're tying on a pedestal rather than C C-clamp. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. Because I see there's a picture in your book here of you tying, and you're tying off the bench. Uh,
1: yeah, I have an extension it goes below the bench just to cut down on shoulder fatigue. It's, it more puts the vice, like, in your lap, so your arms right. are, yeah. you know, in yeah. a natural position. You know, yeah. if you put a 9-inch a pedestal vice up on a bench, and then you're, you find that after a couple hours you get really bad neck pain and shoulder because your arms are above your head for a couple hours while you're working. So yeah. if you do a lot of time, that's a really good tip is to get the vice lower and closer to you so your arms aren't stretched out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing, uh, you feature in here is, uh, E6000 glue. Uh, mm. industrial strength adhesive. <laughs> uh, probably,
1: probably the best glue I've ever found for keeping things put and never coming off again. Especially, you know, doll eyes for like bait fish wise. Um, that's probably the, the question I get the most: is what glue do you use for gluing on eyes? And mm-hmm. um, it's great stuff. I would suggest that you do it in a well-ventilated area when you're using it when you're you know applying that stuff because it is kind of noxious. It's strong stuff. But um, man, it, when we were in uh, Argentina, we had a problem with the piranhas, and they would eat eat down to the bare shank of hook. And I have a bag of flies. It's kind of a joke. There, there was nothing on the uh, on the fly except for a couple of fibers of yak hair and the two eyeballs that were still glued to the shank of the hook. So <laughs> there's a
0: good they, testimonial right they, there.
1: Huh? Yeah, they, they do not come off. Um, they sell the stuff in a couple of different sizes. I think they make um, uh, a couple different applicator tips. I would suggest going with the travel minis. I think they call them. There's six or eight or something in a pack. And the reason I say that is um, for the amount you're using this stuff, if you get the big tube, it has a tendency to dry out. So if you can use it in smaller quantities, it, it stays, I guess, fresher longer, and it also has a smaller applicator tip. So when you give it a minor squeeze, you don't have a quarter-sized glob of the stuff sitting on your bench.
0: Yeah, yeah. Where do you
1: get this stuff? I do like michael's or joanne fabrics but again oh okay yeah you can, you okay. can find it on amazon
0: okay the clear, right.
1: the clear is the one you want
0: yeah clear yeah makes sense yeah um yeah and another thing i thought it was cool here is uh uh you, you talked about a battery powered uh like uh, trimmer you know for mustaches and stuff and yeah. uh that keyed me in i go you know, I used to have a beard, a goatee, and I used and I had a trimmer, and I I clean shaven now. So I go, dang, that's I can use that trimmer for something now. You know, yeah. uh, so it's been sitting in the bottom of a drawer for a long time, and I never thought about using it for for tying. You know,
1: synthetics have a tendency to beat up your scissors really bad um, if yeah. you're tying a lot of you know bait fish patterns or. Uh, I, I use it mostly when I'm tying a lot of uh, my five minute finger mullet pattern which is uh you know a cylindrical synthetic you know mullet pattern. And you can get that, you know, initial shape really fast uh, with a rotary vise just by holding the trimmer if you want, give it a couple of spins and you're right to where you need to be, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Saves a yeah. lot and of nice time point. and you can get a lot a nice clean look.
0: And uh you also use a lot of markers. Uh, are there particular different manufacturers or types of markers that you use that you like best? You know, um, yeah. I used to use a lot of
1: Sharpies, um, but, you know, the, some of the colors I love, they're discontinued, so um, I had to branch out and look a little bit further. Chart Pack is the one I use now. They're a wide chisel tip marker. They, they get a lot of ink on fast, so you got to kind of go, you know, lightly with them. But um, the colors are re- really natural. They're like, a, you know, an artist-grade marker, I guess, if you will. They come in, you know, a lot of different variety packs and things like that. But, um, yeah, they're, they're fantastic. The, they don't have a uh, real. Yep. C-H-A-R-T-P-A-K. Okay. And again hairline carries those um but they're all over any art store they're a you know big, right. a thick thick marker, and uh, they come in a just an endless array of colors
0: yeah yeah um and I noticed uh you know I was going through a lot of the patterns you do use a lot of uh Enrico Puglisi materials uh you like his stuff I take it,
1: yeah, you know um for For the the crabs and uh, smaller crustaceans, um, it, it's just it's great stuff. It comes in a lot of different colors. I really prefer um, you know probably his foxy brushes over anything for for little crustaceans. They just give a really buggy look um, and it's really you know a couple of quick turns they're awesome so yeah the, yeah. the 1.5 foxy brush short i think in in a coyote or a sand or a white you can make anything look buggy real quick you know it's a, it's a great material to have in your travel bag for sure
0: yeah yeah you uh <laughs> uh you tell the story about how confusing uh dumbbell and beat eye chains are and and so forth and and uh so you ended up developing a matrix here of all the yeah. different kinds of eyes, two pages worth. I don't know how many are in each page here.
1: Um, it took me about a week in a, in a, <laughs> a previous.
2: <laughs>
0: Tell the yeah, story. In a previous... Yeah, yeah. Well, in a, in
1: a previous life, I was a consultant, so I spent a lot of time on Excel and building, you know, matrix and you know things that um, to try to explain complex. Uh, I guess scenarios or problems or whatever so when, when I stumbled on this one you know a guy that's been tying flies for most of his life that um, couldn't figure out sizes or you know any kind of um, weight that was definitive it, it just made me mad so I started doing it more for myself and then people would always ask me well I can't get this eye or this fly shop what's similar to this one so I finally just called all the manufacturers and told them what I was doing. I bought a gram scale and a micrometer and I just started measuring them all and weighing them all to have, you know, the definitive answer on all of it so I could compare and contrast all the different sizes that are, you know, how big is a medium, you know, how much does that weigh some, you know, medium in one manufacturer is a small in another. So it really yeah. gave us a line of demarcation, I guess. So, the, so the how bench, do you... Benchmark, if you will.
0: Yeah, so, what, you know, how do you use this um, practically? You know,
1: as you get into sink rates, it, it becomes really apparent that that's a huge issue with a lot of species is how fast a fly is falling through the water column. So, and it's not necessarily the size I, but the, the total weight or the total speed at which it moves through the water. So once you have that information, it can help you um, kind of get drilled in depending on what you have to work with. So no matter what fly shop you go to, one of those eyeballs is going to be on there and it, it gives you a starting point. Hmm. You know, it, For me, uh, I tie the same fly in a few different sizes when I travel. And then, um, you know, it could be the salinity. That could change the sink rate. It could be, you know, who knows the materials you use, whether you use EP versus Aunt Lydia's. Um, There's a number of different factors that can affect the sink rate of a fly. The the weight that you tie on, whether the the dumbbell eye or bead chain, um, to the hook, which is also a factor, all those things add up. So if you at least have some information on the weight that you, you're starting with, then you can start to figure out sink rates a little bit faster and make adjustments, Yeah, if that makes sense.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, you can see with a weight, and then, uh, you know, do you want to double that or just have it or, you know, depending on.
2: Well, you know, the other thing is a lot, of, a
0: lot of recipes
1: – call for a, you know, a 530-second brass dazzle-eye. Well, what if I can't get a 530-second brass dazzle-eye? What's uh-huh. the next closest thing? So you can look up that size in the matrix and then say, okay, right. I'm going to peruse through these other ones and find one that's similar weight. And, and that, that you know, if that's what that pattern calls for, then you have an, yeah. uh, substitute. a substitute.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, good chart. And that's – oh, actually, right. I said – Three page two, two and two thirds pages. Uh, of, yeah, uh, it was a lot. I, I bit off a lot with that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's going to come in handy. Uh, I can see that definitely. Good. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to roll through some of these uh, these flies that you tie and kind of highlight them and, and talk about certain things you do in them, uh, and let you you uh, you know you, you kind of talk about those things as we go through. Um, and I'm in the bone your bonefish book, and uh, Tradella's ghost, um, and a, a bonefish fly. Uh, you want to tell how this was originated, uh, where it came from? Well, um, yeah, absolutely. First, let me say that um the books
1: are laid out just so the the listeners know. Um, bonefish is kind of the first of the three, then Tarpon, then permit, And each of the books have, Much like a cookbook, they're laid out from simplest to more complex. So Uh a lot of the things that I discuss in the book, you know, a technique or a a term might be used early and not explained completely further in the book. So the Bonefish book is the one that has all the tips, tricks, and techniques up front first, and then um, it gets easier as it goes or harder as it goes to the end of the book so trudell's uh, ghost is one of the first flies in the book if not the first one and it's relatively simple i really like this fly because it's one of the ones i teach beginners it's basically uh you know a little bit of rabbit hair and some yarn and a dog brush to comb it out Uh but um it's it's a really effective pattern you can weight it heavily for like mudding fish if you're in the Bahamas or wherever Belize, and you need to have a deep water fly. That's one I really like. The other one's a Simram or whatever. Um, that's what most folks bring, but that's a little bit more difficult fly to tie. This fly, like I said, is a little bit of rabbit hair and uh, maybe a strand of crystal flash or two, and just some some craft yarn that you can find.
0: Yeah, and all the the fibers make the body. So um, yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's one, a
1: super easy one.
0: One thing you do when you start out doing it here, and you do it consistently throughout the books, um, is to double over material and uh, to tie it on. Uh, so, in other words, we'll, we'll tell how you tie the, the crystal flash. It's really simple, but I think it's it's such an, yeah. a good so technique. That, yeah. that, that
1: technique I use um, for a couple of reasons. One, I don't like tying in uh, bare tips for uh, near the the eye of the hook. So um, anytime you can double over a material, you're going to make a, a much cleaner thread wrap. You don't have to try to lash down, you know, tips of deer hair or anything, you know, any, anything you can bend over, it's, it's going to be a lot cleaner. So I always double over, like, flash or longer synthetics so, um, so it's cleaner. But so also so after a few fish, they don't pull out. If there's only, you know, four or five thread wraps on an eighth of an inch of material, they have a tendency to to work themselves loose. So it's, Mm -hmm. you know, twofold, one to keep it more durable and two to to give you a cleaner fly.
0: Yeah, and and by doubling over, you mean just taking one strand, putting the the, uh, the, the thread through the middle and then folding it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so what I do is, um, and it also gives you more uniform flies on each side of the hook, so what I'll do is I'll grab one end of, let's say, um, a couple of strands of crystal flash with my index finger and thumb, and then I'll wrap it behind the hanging thread, and then I'll grab um, the other end with my ring finger and middle finger, and then I make kind of a V, and the the V, the point of the V is, you know, touching the shank of the hook and secured in place by single thread wrap. And then you can wrap over both legs, makes the fly uniform. You can measure up the material evenly um, on both sides of the hook and then lash it down on the hook. It will also help you position where it is on the sides of the fly. So if you're trying to tie a lateral line or something Mm -hmm. like that, you don't have one pointing down and one pointing up.
0: All right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good technique. Listen, we got to take a quick break, and then we'll come back, and we'll dig into to more uh, Drew's uh, flies and fly tying techniques. So hang with us, and we'll be right back. Watermaster is dedicated uh, to providing their customers with the highest quality inflatables on the market, as well as unbeatable customer service and product support. They are best known for their signature products, the Watermaster Grizzly and Kodiak rafts. These rafts are lightweight, compact, durable, versatile, and safe. The Watermaster rafts are everything your personal watercraft should be. They've been used by anglers and hunters all over the world for over 15 years, including Dave Whitlock, one of fly fishing's greatest innovators. Dave said, with my Watermaster, I can enjoy more fishing per hour than any other method I have ever tried. After two and a half years of testing 15 models of kickboats, I'm convinced that Watermaster is the ultimate personal flotation craft for warm and cold water fly fishing. Visit Watermaster today and take a look at the ultimate personal flotation craft. Go to BigSkyInflatables.com. Again, it's BigSkyInflatables.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Drew Chacon about top saltwater flies. If you'd like to ask Drew a question, just go to our homepage at AskAboutFlyFishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them on the show tonight. So, um, Drew, I always ask, uh, oh, um, I see there was a follow-up question here before I dive in. Uh, somebody wrote in, wants to know the name of the glue. It was e, uh, E6000, E6000, Treg, so just to clear that up. Okay, Um yeah, just um, I was asking, I guess, you know, what's going on in your fly fishing world? Obviously, you know, finishing this three-volume set was a huge undertaking, <laughs> so I'm glad you're yeah, that was... a bit of a rest. <laughs> but uh, what's well, happening?
1: Actually,
0: uh... been... Since Go I ahead.
1: since I finished these, I, I came out with another book, uh, largemouth bass flies. Um, oh, I guess there's, yep. there's no rest for the no rest for the wicked, for the I guess, wicked, huh? uh, um, that happened. I've uh, been doing a lot of bass fishing uh, with my daughter, so I figured it was just kind of next on with list. Not salt water, but I had to get yeah. it done for for all the, the bass fans out there. Um, yeah. I just uh, joined Patagonia as a fly fishing ambassador for them, so that's a big deal for me. I'm looking forward to working with them um, on a a bunch of uh, upcoming stuff. Um, What else? I've been working with the American Museum of Fly Fishing. That's been uh, pretty amazing. I went up to Vermont and went to the museum and uh, saw their new saltwater uh, exposition. Uh, That's awesome. Um, It's just been a busy summer.
0: Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. Well, good, good. And, uh, everybody to follow what Drew's doing. Uh, Drew, you want to tell us, uh, your domain name again? Uh, your website? Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, com is my website. Most of my activity these days is on Instagram. I do still post through to Facebook and you can see some of my stuff on Twitter, but, if you're interested in the latest flies and uh, patterns and stuff that I'm doing in my newsletter, check out my Instagram page, dr c h i D-R-C-H-I-C-O-N-E.
0: Okay, good, good. All right, well, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, yeah, no problem. Another, another one that popped up here for me was uh Chacon's, uh Bon Appetit. Um, yep. And uh, things uh, notes I made there was Arctic Fox. Versus rabbit, um, you want to tell us. And you discussed fouling and moving, uh, movement and so forth. You, you want to talk about those two materials because those, um, I mean, a lot of people use rabbit for sure. So, uh, yeah. What's the advantages? Well, you know, it's,
1: it's, I guess it's six one half dozen the other. What you can get, what you like. Um, Arctic fox is a little bit softer. It tends to be longer. So if you need to use a a natural fiber um, that has a lot of, you know, movement in the water, it's really soft. Rabbit and Arctic Fox are both great choices, but Arctic Fox allows you to tie a larger fly. Um, Not to to muddy the water anymore, but another one I found is uh, the Thin Raccoon, which has guard hairs, which makes it a little bit stiffer, stiffer yet. So um, sometimes there's this, you know, I guess paradox between stuff that looks great and moves well in the water and the same material fouling. So you need a little bit more rigidity, but when you when you go that route, you lose the, the mobility in the water. So right. there's... For short stuff, I go with rabbit, kind of the medium-grade, it's arctic fox. And then real long stuff, I'm going with fin raccoon or coyote or something like that. It just depends on the colors you're looking for and the texture, which is a big thing. You know, I'm like bonefish flies cause, or permit flies. You're not moving them a whole lot. So if you stop them, you want them to
0: move on their own. Yeah. Now, where do you get – uh Rabbit's pretty readily available. The Arctic Fox and the Finnish uh, Raccoon, and um, where are you, what's your sources for that?
1: Most everything I get these days is through Hairline Dub. Um, Oh, okay. Saltwater saltwater Fly Tire, I think it's out of St. Pete. Those guys do some custom colors on Finn Raccoon that's just unbelievable. So check out that site. Um, Salt what is it again? Water Saltwater fly water? tires. Saltwater fly tires, I think. Um, and you might be able to get to it through Oyster Creek Outfitters as well. It's just awesome. There's a shrimp pink, fin raccoon, and a electric yellow that I use a lot for snook and tarpon. Yeah, give give those guys a shout or check that out. If you haven't, you know, if you can't seem to get through it, get to it. Shoot me an email. I'll happy to give you a link if I, you know. If I'm not saying it correctly, or you know, there's some kind of break in the, in you know, trying to get
2: yeah, to. Yeah, I it, just but... uh
0: I just searched at uh, Saltwater Fly Tires T Y E R S dot com, and uh, it's Oyster Creek Outfitters.
2: Is where
1: yeah. It yep. It's they have just an awesome, um, you know, variety of custom dyed stuff. For everything else, hair I get it from Hairline. Um okay. they just have the best selection have everything of, you need,
0: huh? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah, good. Good. Uh, oh, yeah. Um this one uh Trank Hillizer Shrimp. <laughs> yeah. Trank Hillizer Shrimp. Um what struck me about that is you talk about inner glow on a fly. Um Yeah. Getting that, you know, that transparent inner glow on the fly. And this, I thought, was a good example of that. Um, you want to explain the goal yeah. and so, the method? Yeah. So Dick Brown, um, who's like the
1: guru of bonefish flies, came up with that technique, I think. Um, I think he's credited with inventing it. And that's putting a UV-reactive material underneath a veil of um, transparent material. So what happens is you get kind of um, this glow from underneath once it gets wet of a brighter color passing through like a transparent or opaque material, which makes it look alive or, or very realistic. So I like that technique um, with uh, the style of Henry Collins' uh, shrimp scampi or bonefish scampi, I think it's called, his pattern, um, which is the zonker strip on top. So, you know, a lot of times you you take the, your favorite parts of two or three different flies and that ends up becoming something else, and, and that's the prime example. It's, uh, it was just an attractor pattern that was very heavy that we used in um, in Andros. Uh, I kind of test and tweaked it there. And we couldn't find a fly that was, you know, getting the attention of these big fish. So I just started tying up the brightest stuff I could get. We used, you know, neon red legs and, um, you know, the brightest thread and, you know, just a, a massive fly. And we tightened the screws over a few times of being down there. And the name came from, uh, at the time, we were staying at um, Tranquility Hill Lodge. So that's where it comes from. But, um yeah, just... Uh, just a really bright pattern, which kind of goes against, you know, the the conventional bonefish fly. You know, mm-hmm. most of the stuff I fish in the middle of the day is like void of color and or you know just soft pinks or a little pop of orange here or there. But this was kind of the turn in on the face, spotlight.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah, because you know when you actually. It's fun to go out there and try to get the shrimp and the crabs and stuff to see what they actually look like, and then you begin to yeah. see, you know, what you're really trying to simulate, and not so easily done many times. Um, but you know, that it, was... it's
1: funny. You think that a lot of these flies are just attractor patterns, and then you're walking on a flat, and you see a neon orange mantis shrimp, and you can hardly believe <laughs> your eyes,
0: but,
2: yeah, yeah. they're yeah. they're out
0: there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, um, yeah, good. Um, let's see, um, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, the, um, let's see if I can grab this one. Um, I think it was in, um, uh, yeah, the uh Helm's uh, Jesse special. I think you were talking about um zonker strips. Um uh, and how you handle yeah. the uh the uh maybe it wasn't that one, but but anyway, how you you get the hair off the zonker strips and it, it to use It was w- it was in the interview with Chris Helm. Oh, so, okay. Um, yeah. Chris Helm
1: was probably one of the best fly tires I ever had the pleasure of learning from. He was an amazing wealth of knowledge, and he um, showed me that technique when he was tying his Simram variation. And what he did was cut the leather off a zonker strip, and then he used a clip or, um, you know, like a, a bulldog clip to secure the hair, cut the strip away, and then put it in a dubbing loop to reduce the weight. Instead of palmering the zonker strip around the the hook, which usually gets saturated, and makes the changes the fly sink rate, makes it kind of come down with a splat, and um, it's just a lot clunkier way of doing it. He cut the cut it off and built the collar out of a dubbing loop made with just the rabbit hair, and and that's how I came up with the idea for reducing the weight on my Tuscan bunny fly, was
0: oh, using that technique. Was, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really slick, how the clip, you know, big, you know, a bulldog clip is just like one of those big uh, paper clipped things that uh, can grab uh, a... What do you use, like a four-inch wide one or something? Yeah,
1: three or four inches, which yeah. is there, it's kind, of, kind of a flat jaw, so it holds the hair perfectly. And when you trim it, um, usually there's about an eighth of an inch between the metal and the, the cut ends of the hair, and that's what you can slide into the loop. If not, you kind of just open it lightly stacked on your bench and give yourself a little bit more room to work with. But, yeah, it's a fantastic tool. And that technique I use all the time for all, all kinds yeah. of different patterns.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, another one here, Chacon's uh, Drama Queen Shrimp. Um, and the material you use there, I believe, is your material, Crusher Legs? Um, yeah, so... I, how did that come about? Well, and Why do you use it? Well,
1: when I was in the Bahamas, I realized that all those little crustaceans that we were trying to find... Um, were were pretty much clear, or if they did have any color, it was just, you know, little dots or scan them out here or there, little pops of color, and in all the rubber legs on the market at the time that were barred were barred black over a color, black over olive, black over tan, or, you know, black, even black and orange, but it was a solid orange leg, uh, with black bars on it. So you lost all that translucency. So I called mm-hmm. my buddies at Hairline and said, hey, is there any way we can do a barred leg over clear? You know, I want the bar to be the actual color so it looks more realistic in the water. And that's what they did. We worked, you know, come up with a bunch of different colors of that. And then in order to create a fly that's body was... Um, that match the body match the legs clear with a little bit of color we cut that leg in a few different sizes so the wide allows you to use it the rubber leg like um like vinyl ribs so you can palmer it around the shank of the hook and create a body and then use a couple of different sizes of um, legs to give it a more realistic look instead of it all being uniform
0: yeah does that yeah. make sense yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And that material is available from you directly, right? Or is it through hairline? You can get it at most any fly shop now. Um they're all okay. it's all
1: over the place. Again, hairline supplies most of the fly shops now. I think they bought Spirit River, so they're everywhere. So, um uh, mm. yeah, if if you can't find it there, you can get them from me on my website. You, know, you can't find them in your local fly shop. I sell them on my website as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Boy, we're getting a lot of I'm going to have to start uh, fielding some of these questions here. Um, we've got a bunch of them coming in, Drew, on the Internet. So, uh, okay. And then we had some that were sent in as well. So let me try to grab some of these here. Sure. Uh, I'm going to hit some of these that came in early. Alan Rupp, uh, New York City. Now, do you feel that having the proper fly is more important than making the proper presentation? In a lot of situations, I'd say um, yes.
1: If the fish are turned on and you make a poor presentation, like, for example, with snook, it doesn't matter how great the fly is. If you draw the fly towards the fish, it's like a gazelle chasing a lion and they uh, freak out. Um, so it's better to have a curved cast or a cast short that, as you draw the fly away from the fish, they're going to eat it. And on the other hand, um, you know, I've been in situations where they would not eat four flies, and on the fifth fly, once we got it dialed into the size and what the color and the sink rate, you know, saved the day we caught, uh, you know, an unthinkable amount of fish just by having the right fly. So, uh-huh. Six of one, half dozen the other.
0: Yeah, uh, Stefan in um, Ellensburg, Washington, writes: uh, What do you think is the most effective way to deal with bonefish selectivity on flats that are fished frequently in places such as the Bahamas, Belize, or Christmas Island? Would you try to present a new new fly patterns or tie proven patterns with different materials, or dial down your presentation?
1: Okay, so a lot of times. Um, what I do is it, it depends first on what time of day you're fishing. So early morning, I will go with brighter colors, and if they don't eat, then I go smaller. In the middle of the day, I will start with more muted colors and same thing, scale down. If, it's, if you're still getting refusals, then I'll start to go down in liter size and up in liter length. So I might go down to like an 8-pound bite, tip and go to a 14-foot leader. But for the most part, with real spooky fish, I try to go more sparse and less color, so more natural things, um, more natural materials. If you, if you look at most of the crabs and shrimp that you find on the flats, they're trying to hide. They blend in really well. Um, there might be just an itty bit of color on them. A lot of times I'll um, go completely tan, um, but I'll just put, like, a, a black and white barred leg in there. Um, that's just something that I found works really well. Most crabs have a little checkered spot on their swim fin, um their swimmers, that's so black and white. So I'll go all tan with a little, just a one black and white silly leg in there.
0: Yeah. Okay. 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 Um. We have uh, Roy Fukushima in Orange, California. I fish for bonefish on shallow flats with coral, smoothed over rocks, and matted, spongy seaweed. And wondering what shrimp flies you would suggest that don't snag easily uh, can be very frustrating when making that perfect presentation only to have your fly get stuck on the bottom terrain. Yep, common problem. Okay. Yes,
1: yeah, um, the first thing I do is I tend to to get rid of the the weight if you're fishing really shallow or anything that's going to hang up on on the bottom all my flies i start with weed guards for the most part in florida and i get to the bahamas i'm in you know gin clear water i might not put them on bonefish flies but i find that it's easier to cut cut them off so i use a piece of 20 pound hard mason to keep the flies weedless and um, it also helps if there's a lot of debris to do a double weed guard with no weight, the mono floats will so help correct the fly hook point up. But you can also, like with my coyote ugly shrimp, you can leave it a little bit larger as you trim the body of the fly and that will help help you keep the the actual hook off the bottom, if that makes sense. So for okay. for stuff that's um, I guess a lot of coral or a, a lot of materials you might even be able to go to like a bend back old school style bone fish fly I, I think it's called a, uh, you'd say that something queen uh, just you know all, all before we got into this uh, the, all the bead chain you know classic Charlie gotcha style a lot of guys fish. Like a bailey snapping shrimp is an awesome pattern for bonefish, and that's a, a bend-back style fly. So give that a try, too, if you're having issues with it getting hung up.
0: Yeah, that one I was just – I had my page turned to that one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, bailey snapping shrimp. Um, let me ask you, since you brought that up, a question about that. Uh, that uses uh, Aunt Lydia's rug yarn. And yep. And you – it's no longer available. Um, you must have quite the stash down there, I suppose. <laughs> it's, a, it's a treasure trove. I, uh, <laughs>
2: anytime
1: I find it, in the I, I offer it on my website simply because I'm always surfing the, the old interweb trying to find it. Or, you know, you go to a yard sale or something or one of these places, uh-huh. uh, and you, you can find it. I buy all I can get. It's probably the best synthetic material for doing merkin style you know perpendicular to the hook shank it's just really really coarse there's a little bit of natural sparkle to it so it's awesome you can still find it once in a while on ebay but again you got to buy like a whole skein of it so if you're looking for smaller quantities you know pan or olive i have the more normal or more fishy colors, I think, on my. Like, I'll buy as much as I can get. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's awesome stuff. And the technique that Bailey, uh, Steve showed me was, you know, he spins it in like an old blender and then makes dubbing out of it. And it's just amazing. It's like, it's, it almost gives your flies like a natural crunchiness to them. It's, it's kind of bizarre, but it's very coarse. Yeah, very, very cool stuff to work with
0: yeah 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 um so keep searching on that and you, you you said you haven't found an alternative but i mean at some day there, there's not going to be any more anywhere right so what yeah
2: what, um, your...
1: ep um like the regular ep fibers they have the same translucency but they don't have the stiffness and coarseness and a lot of the old time permit guys say that ep flies don't sink the same way that uh, an Aunt Lydia fly would sink because the way it's furled. So when you tie in a furled piece of synthetic, it's stiffer at the tie-in point. So it creates a wider profile, and it, it doesn't unravel. So if you tie in already unraveled fibers like EP, which is just, you know, multiple fibers, the water passes through that faster than a furled fiber, so the sink rate's different on a Merkin type of EP than it is with Aunt Lydia's.
0: Have you talked to Enrico about creating a substitute? I, or... have not, yeah. I have not talked to Enrico about that. It okay, I'm going to probably
1: a talk to him tomorrow. I'll ask him. <laughs> yeah,
2: it will be, it'll be
1: the
0: new Roger
1: synthetic, Roger Mays
0: synthetic. <laughs> oh, Roger's okay. rug yarn. He just came out. He's coming out with a bunch of new material, and um, so, you know, why not ask him? Hey, he's got the... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. More the merrier. There's your challenge, Enrico. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. We had uh, Brian Daly in Canton, Georgia. He says, how important do you think it is to carry duplicates of flies when traveling to a new saltwater destination? I find myself paring down in order to have a wide variety of offerings instead of going four to five deep in all sizes of some patterns?
1: Well, that's uh, that's an important one for me, a good question. I always recommend bringing at least three of any pattern you're going to put in your box, because what inevitably happens is you stumble upon a hot one, and you're always fishing with a buddy that's going to,
2: Take one? one off, you. now, <laughs> now, yeah, now,
1: now you're down to two, and you break one off. Um, so and the guide wants one too, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly yeah, right. And so, so I would say I uh, unfortunately I air on both sides where I bring about 15 patterns, about five deep of each. So, you know, it, it's ridiculous. Ninety percent of the flies never see the light of day, but I bring them with me anyways and give them away at the lodge. Um, sure yeah i I would say absolutely tie at least three of any of the flies that you're going to put in your box and go with and usually what i do is i stage tie so i'll lay out you know 12 number fours and 12 number sixes and then i'll put out you know the accompanying medium and small bead chain and i tie all that first and then i do you know each fly in two sizes Um, two sink rates, you know, two or three, or three or four deep.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of what I do is take uh, smaller boxes, you know, out fishing, but always have back at the lodge, you know, a big box of, you know, a lot of inventory. So I can replenish. I mean, that's the lightest part of your travel anyway, you know, so... To be honest with you, I don't even use boxes anymore.
1: I use uh, a Patagonia cube, which is what they recommend for traveling with, to put clothes in. It it zips flat, and there's two sides to it. And Mm -hmm. I put, like, leader material and, um, you know, a a dog brush and a, a pair of snippers or whatever in there, a hook file in one side. And with some flies on the other side, I put some flies in there, and I keep them all in, like, little baggies, and you know, Mm -hmm. because inevitably something gets, you know, they all get wet, and then the whole box is ruined. And I've done that so many times, or the box blows off. So now, you know, I use that soft-sided bag, which I can stuff into Hmm. another bag or into a hatch, and they're all waterproof, every individual fly.
0: Yeah, yeah, good idea, yeah. Um, let's see here we've got uh, let's take a couple off the internet um, Ed Weston wants to know do you make your own brushes?
1: Dubbing brushes or dog yeah. brushes? <laughs> no, no I, I, I make dubbing
0: that. brushes yeah
1: yeah absolutely um, I bought a uh, an electric dubbing brush machine many moons ago and I haven't been able to find them since and I do most of my um, synthetics in that. If I'm doing really big flies, like big mullet patterns or uh, collars for um, tarpon toads, I'll I'll spin up Arctic Fox in there. If I want like uh, custom colors, uh you know that's that's not available, but absolutely, I make I do a, a lot of brushes. Um,
0: the oops, still there. I'm here, yep. Okay, okay. I heard a, a beep, so I'm, I am got a little freaked out there for a second. <laughs> um, um, yeah, uh, when you said you had an order to your books, it was bonefish, tarpon, and then permit? Is that? Yep. Yeah, as far as difficulty of tying? Okay, okay. They're all
1: laid out from um, easiest to, to most, most difficult. And within the, the books themselves, in the, right? Yeah, within the books, and then... Bonefish is kind of the, the tips, tricks, and technique is the first chapter in that book. So right, you could right. go from bonefish to tarpon or bonefish to permit. That really wouldn't make too much of a difference. But, but yes, yeah. absolutely, throughout yeah. the
0: books. Yeah. One thing you used, uh, uh, Chacon's uh, peyote paolo worm, paolo, Yep. what is it, Palolo worm, paolo uh, worm, yep. Those palala worms. Those Uh,
2: those
1: worms that hatch down in the keys or all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, you use a a pasta cutter in that. Yeah. That's how the Tuscan bunny came to light, and now I got sick of doing that. My wife's got her pasta cutter back. the guys at Hairline do my fettuccine foam, but that's how I came up with the name Tuscan Bunny was uh I I ran sheets of foam through the pasta cutter to give me strips that allowed me to, you know, spin it like deer hair and then I could adjust the buoyancy by um increasing or decreasing the amount of foam. And foam doesn't saturate like deer hair, so that's where the strip foam came from and then as I had strip foam around all the time I just started coming up with other patterns and that the pattern um you're talking about the palalo worm is is basically a strip of foam that keeps the fly up real high in the water and then the palmered body pushes water and uh you know makes makes a, a disturbance on the surface. Mhm.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, and you just put, ran the phone through the pasta cutter to get the strips. Right. Yep, and, you got um,
1: it. Yeah, now you can just buy it. You know, it's called Chacon's Fettuccine Foam, and it comes in, you know, I don't know how many colors, but the usual more options and you know what to do with. But I use that strip foam, the Fettuccine Foam, for Tuscan Bunny, my King Rat, the palalo Worm, um, you name it. I'm, I'm u- finding more uses for it every day.
0: Yeah, since you brought up the Tuscan Bunny, that's that's a very unique pattern and a unique use of the foam there. Can you tell people about uh, that how that came kind of about amazing. and how you tie that? Yeah, Pardon me? The beginning of it
1: all was uh, yeah, the, the Tuscan Bunny was kind of the um, if, if I had to give up all fish, I guess, and only take one and be snook, that's my favorite. They're the fish that keep me up at night and Um, where I live in Fort Myers, Florida, in May, April, May, June, those big girls are coming out of the river and floating around in, you know, a couple feet of water. So it's really difficult to um, put a cast on them without spooking them. It's better if you can have the fly where they're going to be. So you're making a, you know, seventy you know, 60, 70-foot casts, getting way off them so they don't see you because the water is shallow. And the fly has to, to be neutrally buoyant and not sink, but you don't want it to float. So if you use deer hair like the old swamp bunny, which I love, after a few casts, the fly would saturate, and it would lose its buoyancy and sink. And it would also come down like a wet blanket just flat and that would spook a lot of fish so the conundrum was trying to come up with a fly that would um would ride in the water column where you want it to be and come down soft and still be castable so the fettuccine foam allowed me to adjust the buoyancy or where that that fly would ride in the water column with you know a hook heavy enough to to fight a forty-inch snook on, and be able to adjust it. So, you know, like eleven strips of foam on a 2 aught, you know, owner flyliner. What was the magic number? If you you know, if you want to ride higher, or you want to change the hook out. Um, you can simply adjust it by adjusting up or down the strip foam, and it and the foam doesn't saturate. Also, when you trim it, those. Trimmed ends push a lot of water, so you get a, a really lifelike movement out of the tail as you're moving the water across all those different nubby ends, um, which makes the rabbit zonker strip tail swim. So that was how I came up with that bug and why the Tuscan or the bunny got its name was using a pasta cutter to cut sheet foam. <laughs> cut
0: the foam. I was, yeah, yeah. I was
1: actually at a, I was at a restaurant with my wife. And I watched the guy run pasta through the machine and it just kinda clicked. And I said mm. to my wife, We gotta go home i got to I g I gotta I gotta do something with the pasta cutter at the house, so
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah, good use of it. Um question came in on the internet from uh Treg Owings, I think. Hold on. Yeah. Treg Owings in Moscow, Idaho. Um He says, do you use yak hair for its ability to shed water? And I know I had marked here Chacon's micro uh, mangrove cannibal that you use yak hair in. So, want to talk about yak hair a little bit? I use a lot of yak hair.
1: Um, That, for a long time, still is one of my favorite materials, especially for for big bait fish patterns. Not only does it, um, you know, shed water, but it does saturate a little bit where it gets a little more supple and it'll move where a synthetic won't do that. Um, It doesn't trap air. So when you do put a cast on a cruising fish, you don't have to strip four or five times to break through the surface tension to get the fly underwater. But also it's one of the only natural fibers that you can get that length on without tips. So I can create any length or size bait fish fly by tapering it and then doubling it over on itself where, you know, you, you're you limited to the, the length of the hair or fiber. If you use deer hair or something like that, you just can't make a, a really big fly. So what I found is in the summer or spring, you know, um, June, July, on the beaches when we're targeting, you know, cruising snook on like Sanibel and Captiva, I find they eat a really big, you know, five, six inch bait fish pattern better than, you know, a little itty bitty one sometimes. So I started creating really big bait fish that were void of color, like translucent. Everything on the beach that time of year is washed out, the sand's white. So I started tying with yak hair because it had those translucent qualities and i could create a really big bait fish that that, that looked really natural also Mm -hmm. another attribute which i get a lot of flack from my buddies is that you can count the fibers and the reason i do that is one primarily for teaching so what i found was you couldn't illustrate how much material to use um, effectively by saying a pencil width or a matchstick or whatever measurement, you know, because no one seemed to know what that was. So if you met, if you counted out 80 strands of yak hair, which is way easier than you think, you know the measurement. And after you had done it a couple of times, you know about how much material to use. And, And it makes blending colors a lot easier, too. If you say 20 gray, 10 tan, and 5 turquoise, you know your fly is going to be right on the money every time, and you can
0: reproduce that. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Good, good. Um, Another uh, fur hair you use um, is Coyote. Uh, Chacon's Mm -hmm. Calypso Coyote. And... um, Tell us why that's uh, an important component to
1: that. Coyote, coyote, um, I kind of stumbled on when I got my uh, sentence to fly fishing purgatory in uh, in the middle of the (laughs) Northern Desert. My wife had to take a job in Scottsdale, so we moved there for a couple of years, and... um, it was just uh, material that was around everywhere. You know, we had coyotes in the side yard. We'd keep the dogs inside kind of a thing. And one of my buddies had a, a, a hunting show, and I got to go out with him a few times, and I got to really look at the material, the fur, and it had a lot of um, really diverse natural color tones that pretty much mimic the bottom of you know, like in the Bahamas or Belize, it was like creams, dark browns, grays. So the diversity of color in coyote fur just lends itself towards tying crustacean patterns. It's it's also coarse, but you know it has some movement to it. So it's it's just a great material for tying bonefish and permit flies. I use it all the time, even on even um, on some of my
0: tarpon flies, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Rob in Savannah, this one came in on the internet uh, in Featherbrain he says you discuss UV reflective materials and their advantages especially in low light conditions can you please expand on this are there certain species of fish that are more reactive to UV good question
1: yeah so UV reactive versus UV reflective is kind of a hot topic a lot of the materials you find now that are sold, say, like dyed UV reactive, um, and basically UV colors are more visible in low light. So um, even with, I think it's uh, distance underwater down, but also like lengthwise, UV light can, or reactive colors and light can be seen further. So when you're fishing in low light, a UV reactive color, um, because there's always going to be UV light if there's any light, is going to be seen much further than any other color. So when you're using like hot pinks, chartreuse um, colors that have a very high UV reactivity, they're going to be seen at a lot further distance, much like when you see a road worker wearing chartreuse or blaze orange, it's the same thing. So, a lot of times, you're going to get noticed from a fish that that you wouldn't by using a more muted tone. So, UV reactive colors have a tendency to be used as attractors, and uh-huh. the in like and I talk about in the book with the the different color spectrum with like feathers. Feathers have. Um, are uv reflective so like white has a higher um white feathers are more uv reflective than black and like they you know um there's fish like they've done a lot of testing on salmon and like the fry and the cones and rods i mean obviously what they see obviously you're never truly going to know what a fish sees but they're testing the fish's um I guess reactivity, or do they see, do they react to uh, these UV color spectrums or UV uh, indicators in the water? So there's a whole science to it. I don't claim to be the, you know, Bill Nye the science guy and all this stuff, but I did my best to explain its usefulness as far as tying flies with UV colors
0: Mm -hmm.
1: as as attractors.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, Treg Owens uh Wings, uh, in Moscow, Idaho, uh, had another comment question here. Um, he said when he went to Christmas Island, the guides there pulled the rubber legs off most of his flies. <laughs> he said, so he wants to know what you think of rubber legs. Have you, have you been Christmas Island or know of that I, guide?
1: I haven't, but no matter where I go in the world, the guides always look in my box and say, none of this crap's going to work. That, <laughs> that's pretty much the standard. And on the last day, they always say, I don't want a tip. Can I just have your flies? So um, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's how they haze people that like to tie flies or what. But, um, you know, I can see if um, maybe the flies too big or they don't like, uh you know, the – it's too bright. Um, that you know, I, I've never had a guide pull any of the rubber legs off my flies. Maybe <laughs> it was maybe it was the color. You try tying with those crusher legs. They're clear with a little bit of yeah. color. I, I don't know. I, I've never experienced that, but um, I would say, you know, the, the the best thing you can do is um, make your own deductions from fishing the fly. Yeah. And if you do a lot of refusals, then start adjusting. Um, you,
0: you, never, you never know what's going to be the
1: next hot fly.
0: Yeah. A uh, couple of questions here from Jay Murakoshi. Uh, Jay, Jay is on our show, too. Um, he uh, does a lot of uh, guiding down in Baja. Um he wanted to know what colors of Lydia yarn are popular. He says I have a bunch of skeins of different colors stashed away.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, my favorite ones um probably are the brown tones and the green tones. So, um beige, antique gold, um cream, um those are really good for like kind of natural browns um, mm-hmm. the there's a flack flax seed I think it's called there's um, I can probably just pull them out from underneath my bench here, but grass green so yeah the I would say the the greens and the tans are going to be the also purple and black. those are your other two saltwater colors.
0: Um. He also asks, uh, Jay also asks, uh, is your dubbing machine from Roots?
1: No, I got my dubbing machine maybe, I don't know how long ago, but I got it from um, the Grizzly Hackle in Montana. They, there was a guy online named Drew, surprisingly enough, selling them. And um, I emailed him, and he said, yeah, we got one or two left and. Uh, you know that was the last I'd ever seen them. I bought this one. Um, I've talked to a lot of people about manufacturing them for me, and you know it's based. Mine has a spring-loaded um, cup hook on the far end, and then the, the near side on the motor is just another cup hook. And there's a drop-away aluminum tray. So you you make you affix the wire to the machine side cup hook, then you wrap the wire around the far cup hook um, and let it hang and then raise the tray up to the wire. You load the tray up with whatever you want to be in that big, you know, dubbing brush or basically a pipe cleaner. And then you put the other leg across when you're done of the wire, put it over the loop and then fire it up, cut away the wire and finish spin it and dog brushing it out. That's how I make them. But, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of dubbing brush machines out there, but they're not electric and it makes a big difference if you can get your paws on an electric one.
0: Uh, One final uh, question, because I know you guys have been suffering down there in uh, Fort Myers, Sanibel area with uh, the Red Tide. Uh, Phil McCartney asked uh, how the snook population is is doing down there in your area. Well, we were doing better until a couple of days ago, and it
1: popped back up, and I don't know if you've Mm -hmm. seen the pictures on... Instagram and Facebook, but we had another big kill up near Captiva. So you know, it's hard to say. I know it's you know something that happens. Red tide isn't. This isn't the first time it's ever happened. You know, we have red red yeah. tide. This this year's obviously been way more severe, and it's just it's it's tough to watch. But
0: yeah, um, yeah,
1: there's yeah. a lot of uh, stuff it floating
0: up that that shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah, well hopefully it'll clear up here soon for you guys and uh yeah. Anyway, we're all thinking about you down there because
2: nobody we, likes to see a you
0: that yeah. Yeah. So well, um time to wrap this up, Drew. Uh it went by so fast I can't believe it. I still had like yeah. forty more questions for you. <laughs> Guess we're gonna have to do another show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh people have to get your books if they want to find out all your secrets. So uh um, and you've documented most of your your successes uh as per all the books you have. So it's all out there. Um but hey, everybody stick with me just a few more minutes. Uh we're going to give away um a one-year membership to the Fly Fisher's International, a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal and a copy of Drew's book Feather Brain courtesy of Stackpole Books. So Um, Stick with us a few more minutes, and we're going to give away those prizes, and uh, and maybe you'll be a winner. The Bristol Bay region of southwest Alaska is home to the largest runs of wild salmon on the planet and some of the best trophy rainbow trout fishing found anywhere. Pebble Mine still remains a threat to the region, and 2 million acres of federal lands may also be at risk. The entire fly fishing industry is united in this epic conservation battle. Anglers across the country are joining the fight. Be one of them. Visit savebristolbay.org, and there you can learn more about how to, uh, about what's going on, and how to get involved. Again, that's savebristolbay.org. Uh, just a quick reminder to everyone: before you leave the website tonight, take a minute, give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link uh, under the, uh, in the, uh, on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says. What do you think of the show? Just click on that link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. Now it's time to give away our prizes. Uh, winners for our drawings are randomly selected from the show's registration database. If you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for the next show. You don't want to miss out on uh, the chance to get one of these uh, great prizes we have to offer. So the lucky winner will, you know, will contact you after the show and provide you with information uh, on how to receive your prize. So uh, That's how that works. Uh, The first thing we're going to do is give away that one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org, flyfishersinternational.org. Great organization to be part of and support, so uh, check them out. Our winner for that is Tom Berry in Ohio, Tom Berry. So congratulations, Tom, on your membership to Fly Fishers International. And our second uh, prize we're going to give away is a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, which you can learn more about at amatobooks.com. Amato uh, has uh, several different periodicals and uh, also many books on fly fishing that uh, should interest you, so check them out as well. Uh, our winner for that is Joe Andrzejczyk, Joe Andrzejczyk in Texas. So congratulations, Joe, on your, your subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. I'm sure you'll enjoy that as well. Um, okay, now we'll give away Drew's book, Feather Brain: Developing, Testing, and Improving Saltwater Fly Patterns, and um, great, great book to have in your library as well. And uh, I'll try to talk um, Drew into maybe doing another show in a few months, and uh, we'll explore uh, Feather Brain. So, you up for that, Drew? Happy to do it anytime. Okay, good, good uh so let's uh the question the question for this tonight is we talked about um a lot of fur and hair um give name three types of fur or hair that drew uses uh for his flies, but not rabbit rabbit doesn't count <laughs> mm-hmm. so um yeah, we talked uh, three or four of these give me three of them and uh and you'll get drew's book, so <laughs> uh, not quite Tregg, but good try <laughs> Tregg uh Oings put uh so many things in his answer ahead of time that uh he was hoping that he would get it he got part of it, but not not what I had really asked so uh uh we'll, we'll keep trying for uh another one okay um uh, he submitted another answer so uh, here's what he said um arctic fox uh Finnish raccoon and yak so
2: and those are that three sounds of the a winner to me.
0: yeah it sounds like a winner to me too so congratulations Treg, and um just don't tie any of those rubber legs on your flies, when next time you go to Christmas Island, you know what a waste of what a waste of material. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or or try try Drew's, Drew's uh, legs um, those crusher legs. Maybe they'll like those better. So anyway, uh, Treg, uh, it's been a while. Send me your address, and we'll get uh, Stackpole to send you out a book. And uh, I they think probably we... can't buy them there. They are probably taking them for themselves. There you go. (laughs) Sticking them in their pocket, huh? Yeah. I see. You don't need these rubber legs. I don't think you can buy anything on Christmas Island, uh, you know. That's what I'm (laughs) saying. Limited supply, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good. Hey, Drew, it's great having you on the show. Like I said, I just flew by and lots of fun talking to you about fly tying. And we'll have to do it again sometime. But uh, thanks again for, for sharing your knowledge with us. My pleasure. It was, a, it was great speaking with you tonight. Take care. All right. All right. Um, and, All right. folks, um, if you haven't discovered the archive on our website, check it out. Uh, we did put up a new website this past week, so lots of new things there. Uh, you can find Drew's books there on our home page. And um, so if you, if you want to check one of those books out, go for it, and we'll send you right to the page to, to get those. And, uh, you know, we've done, uh, I think, over 185 shows now uh, and Ask About Fly Fishing. So use the archive, do some keyword searches, and you'll be amazed at all the, the education and information we have on the website. Uh, our next broadcast will be October 2nd, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. On that show, I'm going to interview John Garrick. Uh, and the topic for the show will be Fly Fishing, Writing, and Stories. Uh, John has been writing about fly fishing for most of his life. He's the author of 21 books, including Trout Bum, Sex, Death, and Fly Fishing, Standing in a River, Waving a Stick, and a Fly Rod of Your Own. So join us for a chat with John about his writing, inspiration, and of course, fly fishing. We'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Stackpole Books, Whipray Key Fishing Lodge, Watermaster for sponsoring our show tonight. Uh, and uh, don't forget to visit our website, askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show.
2: That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.